Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio. Welcome to Policy and Rights, the show about government policy and human rights. Welcome back to Policy and Rights here on Depictions Media Radio. I'm your host, Michael Cloggs. And we're going to start off in Newfoundland with COVID-19. There was a news conference in St. John's with Dr. Janice Fitzgerald, Newfoundland and Labrador's chief medical officer. She is talking about, of course, um, the uh, COVID-19 booster shots. And who is eligible for them, who should get them, and rather we should should get them during the summer or maybe we should wait until the fall. Um, you, there's some key questions to be asked here. One, you have to examine, of course, your own health and the health of, of, of those who are around you and in your circle. And those who are at the greatest risk of extreme disease. Or, shall we say, life-threatening disease. So, with all that being being in mind, there are there are some things to, that uh, Dr. Janice Fitzgerald is going to ask the people of Newfoundland and Labrador to examine in their own lives and come up with uh, with the answers of when they should get their booster shot. There are some some things um, around changing definitions of fully vaccinated and what fully vaccinated means when children return to school and which children will be uh, under those rules, how they will be defining which children are fully vaccinated and which of them need to get a shot. So... Moving forward, um, there's a statement from Patrick Brown in Brampton. As we heard last, that he was disqualified from the um, conservative um, 
the national conservative uh, leadership race because of, of a failure to disclose something in his records, uh, something about um, a donation or something like that. He is going to th- be throwing his his hat back in the ring for re-election as mayor of of uh, Brampton, Ontario. He, in his statements, he's claiming to, that he is proud of this city and that he was only running in the Conservative Party leadership because he was seeing an opportunity to open the Conservative Party to more inclusiveness. That the ideas of um, homophobia, Islamophobia, or any other phobia or ism need to be removed from the Conservative Party and from the values of Canada. The values of Canada should reflect the ideas of equality. Um, he's going to be asked some other questions about um, things that have happened in the city of Brampton. And he tries to be as eloquent as possible in answering them. So, then uh, in British Columbia, there is... There's an announcement of federal funding um, that British Columbia will be receiving over $870 million towards um, the rebuild uh, of disaster-hit areas. Um, They they will be talking um, more about uh, climate change and how... They need to build back better so that they can protect structures and communities against extreme weather and extreme fire events. So why don't we move forward and we will be starting out in Newfoundland. Good afternoon. Thanks uh, for joining us, or me, (laughs) today. We've, uh, we call this briefing to provide an update on COVID-19 vaccinations and to give an overview of COVID-19, um, an increase in hospitalizations as well over the next two to three weeks, as we know that is a lagging indicator. Uh, the increase in cases is expected given what we are seeing in other jurisdictions with the BA5 subvariant. Subvariants are essentially <clears throat> due to mutations in the original Omicron variant. BA5 does not appear to cause more severe disease than the original Omicron did, and it can evade uh, immunity a little bit better uh, than the original Omicron, which is why we will see this upward trend. Good afternoon. Thanks uh, for joining us, or me, (laughs) today. uh, We call this briefing to provide an update on COVID-19 vaccinations and to give an overview of COVID-19 transmission in our province. 
So looking at our indicators, Newfoundland and Labrador is uh, seeing a, an increase in transmission and recent uh, modeling suggests that we'll continue to see an increase in infections that are likely fueled by the BA5 subvariant of COVID-19, of Omicron, sorry. Uh, we can expect to see um, an increase in hospitalizations as well over the next two to three weeks, as we know that is a lagging indicator. Uh, the increase in cases is expected given what we are seeing in other jurisdictions with the BA5 subvariant. Subvariants are essentially <clears throat> due to mutations in the original Omicron variant. BA5 does not appear to cause more severe disease than the original Omicron did, and it can evade uh, immunity a little bit better uh, than the original Omicron, which is why we will see this upward trend. As we have experienced before, hospitalizations, uh, even with a less severe form of disease, hospitalizations can increase simply because of the volume of cases that we see. So given this trend and, and the information from the modeling, we're going to maintain our current isolation guidelines. And as a reminder, it is seven days of self-isolation for anyone who tests positive for COVID-19. And once COVID-19 activity has decreased and we see a sustained decrease in hospitalizations, we will look at reducing the amount of time required for self-isolation. We need uh, to remember that we have all the tools we need to help avoid a COVID-19 infection while the risk of transmission is higher. Thankfully, it is summer and a beautiful summer at that. And we can gather outdoors where there is a much lower risk of viral spread. When indoors, we can use the same tools that we've always used to prevent the spread of COVID-19. We know that masks work very well at preventing a COVID-19 infection, and the decision to wear or not wear a mask should be made based on a risk assessment that includes your age, your health status, your vaccine status, who you will be interacting with, and in what type of setting. The best protection we have continues to be our COVID-19 vaccines. I'm pleased to announce that starting Wednesday, July 20th, we will offer second booster doses to those aged 50 and older, provided they are at least 20 weeks past their first booster dose. While appointments will be available as early as next week, I would encourage individuals to consider their own risk assessment when deciding on whether or not to get a second booster dose right now. We know that three doses of the vaccine are quite good at protecting against severe disease, even six months from your last dose. And while COVID-19 is circulating now, we anticipate that there will be another increase in cases in the fall as people move inside and respiratory illnesses increase. Delaying that second booster may help provide the best protection at a time when it will be needed most. The fall may also see the availability of new vaccines that are targeted to the Omicron variant. That being said, this information must be balanced with your health status and whether or not you have risk factors for more severe disease and your risk for contracting COVID and passing it on to someone else and perhaps others more vulnerable. So the timing of your second booster is a choice only you can make. It's not always easy and I encourage you to consult reliable sources of information when making the decision and discuss it with your healthcare provider if you're unsure. How we look at COVID-19 vaccines is changing. We are moving away from the def definition of being fully vaccinated with two doses because we know protection wanes over time. Boosters are necessary to maintain a good level of protection and it is becoming more important to ensure that we are up to date with our vaccine schedule based on eligibility. 
I encourage parents to ensure their children are up to date with their COVID-19 vaccinations. I know parents understand the importance of vaccination, as we can very proudly say we have the highest rates of childhood vaccinations in the country. For children aged 5 to 11, up to date means receiving two doses of the vaccine, even if they have had a COVID infection. For those 12 and older, it means having a booster dose, even if they have had a COVID infection. Currently, about 65% of our children aged 5 to 11 and 20% of those 12 to 19 are up to date with their COVID vaccines. I know it has been a long two years and we are all very tired of COVID. And still, we have to remain vigilant and do what we can to live with COVID-19. Vaccination is crucial in this regard. It is important to get every vaccine dose that you are eligible for, even if you have already had a COVID-19 infection. You should be recovered and have no symptoms at the time of your vaccine appointment. To boost your immune response, you may choose to wait at least eight weeks after your recovery before getting your first or second dose and three months after uh, for your booster dose. You can talk to your healthcare provider about the best time to receive your next vaccine. To get up to date with your vaccines, you can check your local pharmacists and physicians for availability. To book a vaccine appointment through a regional health authority, you can do so online by visiting our COVID-19 website and clicking on Get the Shot. Thank you all for tuning in, and I hope you get out to enjoy our beautiful summer. And I'll now take questions from the media. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I just wanted to uh, inform everyone that after talking to <laughs> after talking to my family, my most senior advisors, Savannah and Theodore, and of course, of course, Genevieve, that we've decided to put my name in again for mayor of Brampton. Uh, and I love serving the city of Brampton. Uh, this is truly um, an incredible place to live. Uh, this want to add a few things? It. it it really is a mosaic of the world, and you get to meet people from every culture, every background, uh, and it has been the greatest privilege to serve the city over the last uh, four years, and I'm looking forward to the next four years. We've done a, 
You know, we've done a lot of great work together at, at City Hall. We landed uh, the first, new, uh, the long overdue new hospital. It's a billion dollar investment in our city. Uh, a billion dollar investment in our city that was desperately needed uh, through our advocacy. A new med school uh, for the community that we're elated about. A new transit facility. We'll be the first big city in Canada with a fully electrified transit fleet. We've got the cybersecurity campus major new economic development projects. You look at MDA where we're going to have uh, literally 800 rocket science jobs. It's an exciting time to be in, in Brampton. I'm looking forward to throwing my heart into making sure that Brampton can be even stronger uh, in, in the years to come. Uh, and I want to thank all those uh, who encouraged me, sent me notes over the last few days saying make sure you put your name in uh, again and I promise we would uh, make a decision we have and I'm excited to, to serve. And, and I would just note, obviously, um, there's a lot of issues that I care about on a national level. Bill 21 being one of them where I spoke out and our council spoke out that no one should ever lose their job in this country because of their faith. And for me, that's a Canadian value. And I will continue to speak loudly for uh, values I believe in. And religious freedom is, is one of those. And it's particularly important to Brampton because we are the very definition of multiculturalism in this city and we live in harmony and we love each other and our neighbors and when I see that uh, diminished I will never hesitate to speak out but my entire focus in the years ahead is going to make sure uh, that we have Brampton in a strong position that we continue uh, to make sure our city gets our fair share that we're ability that we're able to get good paying jobs in our community this council was able to freeze taxes for the first time in 19 years 19 years. And for me, being tax competitive is, is very important. It's going to continue to be uh, a priority. I'd also say, you know, I, I hear from residents that challenges around public safety are very important. We've seen uh, uh, real growth in, in auto thefts, uh, and I'm going to do whatever I can to support the Peel Police to make sure they have the tools to keep our community safe. I'm excited for the challenges that lie ahead, uh, grateful for um, the support in the city. I've been going to events recently, and everywhere I went, people were encouraging me um, to put my name forward. And I want to say to the residents, whether it's at the farmer's market, a kabaddi tournament, uh, whether it was during Eid, um, the, the feedback you gave me meant a lot uh, to my family and to myself. And it's because of the residents of Brampton uh, that we're putting our name in for another four years and excited for the challenge that lies ahead. And I know uh, Theodore and Savannah and Gigi are very excited um, that their dad's uh, uh, home here in Brampton, uh, ready to serve uh, in, in public service. And I want to thank uh, Councillor Pileschi, Councillor Santos, uh, Councillor Vasante, who are here uh, with me today. Um, and it's a privilege to live uh, in the greatest uh, city in our country and ready to serve again. Thank you very much. So, you know, on a, on a national level, one of the reasons I, I put my name forward is I didn't want to see the Conservative Party take the route of, of the extreme right, the Ted Cruz or Donald Trump approach. I don't believe that's um, what is the best path forward for Canada. Um, you know, I, 
I love serving as, as mayor of Brampton. It was a big sacrifice to be away f from my family, but I believed that pitch needed to be heard, that the Conservative Party of Canada doesn't need to replicate the politics um, of the U.S. We don't need to have a polarized debate. I may be biased on this because I um, adored our former Premier Bill Davis that I, I believe reflected a different version of Conservatives than we're seeing today. Unfortunately, the Conservative Party did not want to have a free and fair election. They did not want to have a democratic election. You know, we're still pursuing our legal options to make sure what was done is exposed. Um, but I've come to the conclusion uh, that based on what um, the actions taken, that it would be impossible to have a free and fair election at this point when ballots have already, already been sent out weeks ago. And that's fine because I'm excited to be here in Brampton and that's where I'm going to serve. How will you lead the council when half of the council is, is very adamantly opposed to, to your staying on? So there are councillors here um, that took a principled decision. And I support them. And I hope we're going to have 10 councillors um, that share the perspectives of these um, councillors who uh, showed the courage of their convictions when there was an attempt to break the Municipal Act. They stood up to it against, against it. And the Superior Court ruled um, that no councillor is above the law, and the councillors that had ob objected to my time as mayor were held to have broken, uh, held by the Superior Court to have broken the law. This really, this this division really centered around the Integrity Commissioner's finding of guilt over allegations of one councillor and sexual assault. It was upheld by the courts as well, and they fired the Integrity Commissioner and the City Solicitor while I was um, away on the leadership campaign. That wasn't right. Um, and I have complete belief that the residents of Brampton will hold anyone who took those positions accountable for their actions. Um, we can never have councillors who think they're above the law or above the integrity commissioner. Are you endorsing anyone who serve leadership? So I obviously believe in a, a different approach for the federal conservative party. I believe they are on the wrong side of history when it came to marriage equality, Islamophobia, Bill 21, and I would encourage those more than 150,000 Canadians that signed up to support my version of inclusive conservatism to look at the candidates um, and support someone uh, that shares the same values. And, you know, I would say uh, I think there are candidates in that race uh, uh, that share those inclusive values, and it would be up to the members to um, decide who that is. I would say Scott Aitchinson, Jean Charest uh, certainly share um, inclusive values, uh, but right now I'm not going to be involved in the leadership campaign anymore. My focus is going to be um, creating a great team here in Brampton um, to make sure that the city um, is well served over the next four years. Listen, it's always been about serving um, Brampton, and the way that I can do that, I could have served Brampton at a national level. I obviously feel that we haven't got our fair share. What I could have done for Brampton on a national level is obviously uh, much more significant than you can do on a, on a local level, um, but uh, I'm still going to speak up. Um, if we're shortchanged on transit, if we're shortchanged on infrastructure, where we have historically... Um, I will be loud and I will be heard um, to, to make sure that residents in this city are never shortchanged. And I would say one of the things I'm proud about this council of doing is for decades we got shortchanged 
And for the first time, we're starting to see real investments. We need to keep that going. And literally, we were the epicenter of hallway healthcare, and now we're getting a billion dollar new hospital and a med school. Um, and so these are examples that when you don't back away and you stand up and, and you're heard, you can get results. I remember it was on these steps that we had a press conference three years ago declaring um, a healthcare emergency, saying that uh, it was similar to a, a weather emergency because it was affecting health and wellness. And the results of our advocacy where one of the largest healthcare investments in the province is happening in our city. And so I do think you can get results uh, um, through being uh, loud and determined um, uh, for the causes you believe in. Oh, I certainly believe if we took an extreme approach, um, it will uh, not be in the best interest of, of Canada. I don't think that's any, um, any surprise that I have strong feelings that it doesn't matter who you love, where you're born, the color of your skin, or the God you worship, everyone deserves equal opportunity in this country. And the kind of politics that pushes down people based on, on who they are are the politics that I can never support. I, you know, part of living in Brampton is that I love that I see every day that you can come to this country with nothing but the shirt off your back and achieve anything. And if I see barriers in my city or anywhere in Canada, I will speak out against them. Well, my focus is going to be on, on, on Brampton now. And as, as Mayor of Brampton, you have to work with all political parties, and I will do that. Uh, um, and I'm eager to make sure that uh, the city of Brampton can be well served by who's ever in Ottawa, uh, who's ever in office in Ottawa, whoever the ministers are, um, and that will be my focus. Will you step down from the mayor's base of federal charge and end up being brought forward and conduct So, um, obviously, there was um, uh, no uh, wrongdoing. It, there was a reason that was manufactured to... Um, remove the participation of more than 150,000 Canadians in this race um, and um, that wasn't right but that's not what we're here today to talk about. I'm here today um, to make my intentions clear that we're ready uh, to serve, continue to, to continue to serve the city of Brampton. Mr. Mayor, So there are many uh, new members of the party who joined the party for the first time thinking that the party could take a different approach. Um, and uh, for them, they've lost that, they've lost their voice, they've lost their opportunity. Um, but uh, that is a decision um, that the establishment of the Conservative Party made. And um, I'm moving on from uh, that chapter and now just focused on making sure that I can give every opportunity uh, to the residents of Brampton. Mayor, just on the record, yeah. still maintaining no wrongdoing whatsoever in the uh, federal leadership party race? Um, there was a reason that was manufactured, and I think uh, um, the legal team that uh, um, is dealing with the party uh, was very clear uh, that there was no wrongdoing, there was no breach of Elections Canada, um, and I have complete confidence in Marie Hennon and her team um, that, uh, uh, that that will be made abundantly clear. Well, right now, my uh, focus is going to be on the city of Brampton, and that does mean working with all parties. Over the last four, four years, when I was removed from 
um, partisan politics, because municipal politics is nonpartisan. Um, I had an enjoyable time working with all parties, and my goal will be in the years ahead to work with any party, whether it's green, orange, blue, or red, whoever can serve the city of Brampton, and that will be my approach. I'm ready to sit down with anyone um, that can put Brampton in a better position. So Jean Charest is a good friend. I believe he shares many common values, and I did share with my team that they uh, certainly have my blessing to um, get involved uh, with any candidate that they believe shares the same inclusive values that I do. So we do need to have an investigation into why the Integrity Commissioner um, was um, fired um, for doing her job, why the city solicitor was fired for doing his job. Um, I believe residents of Brampton will render their verdict on what I believe was inappropriate conduct by some councillors. The Superior Court has clearly said that they were wrong, and I, I certainly am going to support uh, investigations into that uh, disappointing behaviour. Yeah. Are there any other uh, questions? Are there any other questions? That's important to answer. Yeah. To go back to an earlier yeah, yeah. question, is there any reason the people of Brampton should not believe that running for mayor is, is a plan B backup for you? So, you know, it was the residents of Brampton that encouraged me to try to bring a Bill Davis-style approach to the federal Conservative Party. And as the residents of Brampton who have said, if the party doesn't want to go down that path, then uh, come and serve our city. And so it's the residents of Brampton that I'm taking my encouragement to. And I feel very optimistic that we're going to have a great result in October that will put the city in a very strong position. If you win re-election, I think some questions have been ignored. I don't know where they're from. But if, if you become mayor again, would you shut down any audits uh, into, into, a, into any financial activity from you on behalf of Brampton City Hall, possibly connected to the federal race? Would you let those audits go ahead? So first of all, there... Those are ludicrous claims that have no credibility pushed by political adversaries. Uh, let me be very clear. We're going to insist on an investigation to the wrongdoings of the councillors that removed the integrity commissioner for people that make nonsensical arguments about Brampton's lobbying to get a med school. I am proud that Brampton landed a med school. And it was the Premier himself, Premier Ford, when he called me to tell me the news the day before the provincial budget, and he said... Um, in terms of your Brampton U proposal, you're not going to get a university today, but how does the med school sound? And I said, I'm elated. And, I, and I'll be proud to run on the fact that our council unanimously supported a proposal to bring a university to our city. We spent less than the previous council on that advocacy, but we actually got results. I will never, ever be disappointed in the fact that this council delivered a medical school to, to our city. And I want to actually give credit uh, to Councillor Santos and Councillor Singh, if it wasn't for their relentless advocacy in terms of getting um, on Brampton, if it wasn't for their relentless advocacy, there'd be no med school in Brampton. This is the first new med school in the GTA in 100 years, and we're proud of it in Brampton. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, 
Oh, boy. Maintenant, euh, maintenant, je suis fier d'être ici à, à Brampton euh, et de euh, partir pour mon, pour mon ville ici à, à Brampton, euh, dont la chefferie de, euh, au niveau fédéral. Euh, j'ai dit quelquefois que Jean serais un euh, bon ami et je pense qu'il y a beaucoup de positions similaires sur une partie conservateur inclusive. Well, there's no other questions. Thank you for being here today and uh, looking looking forward to uh, looking forward to the the days and weeks ahead. And uh, those uh, that want to work for other candidates are welcome too. That's the beauty of a democracy. But I feel very confident that the city of Brampton um, are, are going to uh, render a verdict on an optimistic, positive approach forward for our city. So uh, onwards to a better future for the city of Brampton. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. British Columbia and federal ministers on disaster response and climate resilience held their fifth and final meeting. Ministers Blair and Farnworth, who co-chaired the committee, will be delivering remarks, followed by Ministers Squaltro and Sajjan, and then we'll proceed with questions from the media. Minister Blair, over to you. Thanks, Annie. Good afternoon. Bon après-midi. Tout le monde, I want to thank you all for your patience. Uh, we've, we've been doing some very important work today. Before I begin my remarks, I'd like to acknowledge that we are gathered today on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, the Squamish, and the Tsleil-Waututh Nations. I'd also like to take a moment to acknowledge the people of Lytton First Nation and the village of Lytton and their surrounding communities, as well as those of Matthias Kulum Cree Nation in northern Manitoba, who are currently grappling with devastating impact of wildfires. And I'd like to also thank the firefighters, the first responders, and all emergency management officials for their excellent work. Our thoughts are with you during this incredibly difficult time, and we are grateful for, for your work. 2021 was an incredibly challenging year for British Columbians, and from the extreme heat wave and wildfires that tore through the village of Lytton and the surrounding communities to the flooding and landslides that we saw last November, in, in their immediate aftermath, Prime Minister Trudeau and Premier Horgan formed a committee so that we, to enable us to work together to find solutions for the collective good of communities across the province. It was a committee intended to ensure that the silos that, that existed previously among governments and among the First Nations were overcome by in, improved communication, collaboration, and cooperation between the parties. And I can advise that the work of this committee has stood as a true testament to the power of working together from government to government and nation to nation. And throughout British Columbia and right across Canada, we have seen that floods, landslides, wildfires, and other extreme weather events are affecting the lives and livelihoods of thousands of Canadians. And with some regularity, we are seeing the devastation that too, far too many communities have had to endure as a result of the real and growing threat posed by climate change. 
the governments of British Columbia and Canada, working together with the First Nations Leadership Council, have been working to ensure that our responses to recent and future disasters are coordinated and effective, and that there is a concentrated focus on building greater resiliency for generations to come. For far too long, Indigenous people were seen as a vulnerable group when it came to disasters, when in fact their knowledge and lived experience can provide us with an opportunity as we look to better manage emergencies. They must be key partners and given the necessary resources to keep their citizens and their communities safe. And when we understand, respect and leverage their traditional knowledge, which comes from people who have been managing land and mitigating disasters for millennia, I believe all Canadians will benefit and we will be stronger for our collaborative effort together. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Regional Chief Terry Chiji, Mr. Robert Phillips from the First Nations Summit and Kupke Judy Wilson from the Union of British Columbia Indian Chiefs for their invaluable contributions to the success of this committee. And while we have short-term plans and long-term solutions to get done, let me also acknowledge that I have spoken with mayors and residents in impacted communities and in these conversations, many of them have made it clear that what they need right now is funding so that they can return to their homes and get back to their lives. And that's why we are here this afternoon. And today I'm very pleased to announce that our, governments, our government, the Federal Government of Canada, is providing over $870 million in advance payments to the Government of British Columbia through the Disaster Financial Assistance Arrangement to support the flood, landslide and storm recovery and rebuilding efforts that are taking place right across this province. This money is in addition to the $270 million that we provided to the province last month in support of the 2021 wildfire recovery efforts. Let me also acknowledge that we know that much work is required to get communities back to where they were before these events and to prepare them for future ones and this funding will support those efforts. This is an advance payment to a much larger commitment that the Government of Canada has made to the province of British Columbia and the people of British Columbia to help in those recovery efforts. Together we face a significant challenge, building climate resiliency in our communities and although this is no easy task, I take great comfort in knowing that we stand united. We know that the work we are doing here today and the partnerships that have been built and now exist, the funding we are delivering, all are going to make a significant difference to make our communities stronger tomorrow and into the future. And to all the committee members, I want to offer my very sincere thank you for your partnership and your contributions. Together and with the support of an entire nation, we will make sure that communities across British Columbia stand ready for the impact of climate change as we go forward together. Thank you very much, merci, and I now have the honor of introducing my, my co-chair and good friend, Minister Mike Farnward, to provide remarks. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, uh, thank you Minister Blair, and uh, good morning, everyone. I'm Mike Farnworth, the Solicitor General, and I'm honored to be here on the traditional unceded, unsurrendered territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh people. I would like to first thank my co-chair, the Honorable Bill Blair, First Nations representatives and everyone on the committee for attending today's meeting. And for your continuous support and collaboration as we've been working to help people and communities recover from recent disasters and protect them from future climate events. Thousands of people across British Columbia were hit hard last year by wildfires, floods and mudslides from the November 21, 20, 2021 atmospheric river event to the severe wildfire season last summer. And the Lytton community, which was deeply impacted by last year's fire season, is now in the throes of another wildfire. Several homes have been tragically lost on the Lytton First Nation, and BC wildfire crews are deploying extensive resources on the ground and in the air. The province is here to support the Lytton First Nation and everyone affected by this fire. 
We know that the impacts of climate change, our province will continue to face challenging and severe emergencies in the years ahead. And that's why it's clear that all of us, all levels of government, must work together going forward to increase our resilience. I'm thankful for the federal government's support of an advance of $870 million to the province to help us rebuild damaged infrastructure and help people get back on their feet and recover from these recent disasters. Canada, British Columbia, and the First Nations Leadership Council are also working towards a trilateral, a trilateral agreement on emergency management. This will strengthen the First Nations' ability to respond to and recover from future climate-related disasters faster and is part of our work towards an Indigenous-led and culturally safe future in emergency management. We know we still have work ahead of us as we continue to rebuild and recover but I'm grateful to the leadership and collaboration of everyone on this committee. I'm looking forward to continuing building on our partnerships as we work to mitigate future disasters and to help people and communities on the road to recovery. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you, Mike. Hi, everyone. Um, my thank to both of you uh, for your leadership on this committee. It has been a wonderful experience to see how working collaboratively we can move forward and make sure um, we take care of people. And thank you to all the members of the committee, I just kind of scooped my last line, um, for the focus and the steadfast commitment to delivering for the people of British Columbia. This is really an example of what partnerships can achieve when our shared goal is so clear and so important. And I think actually this is a model and a standard I hope we can continue to replicate across the country. The damage caused by the floods has been devastating. I will never forget my visit to Abbotsford with the Prime Minister last fall. We saw the destruction firsthand, but we also felt the overwhelming sense of community that was present, of coming together, of resilience and of hope. We heard heartbreaking stories of what parents experienced as they packed up their kids and belongings in a car. First Nations saw their communities and ancestral territory destroyed. For persons with disabilities, you can imagine how uncertain and difficult the process of evacuation and relocation was. So today I'm thinking of every person who lost a loved one, a home, a business, livestock, or whose life was changed forever by these floods and what this relief will mean to them. This investment is not the first one in our recovery and it won't be the last. The recovery is far from over. People are still rebuilding their homes and their lives and their businesses. Together, we are rebuilding entire communities. And while this is an opportunity that we wouldn't wanna have, I really hope we use this moment to build more inclusive, accessible and sustainable communities as we can. The federal government is always going to be there for the people of British Columbia. When a crisis happens, whether it's a pandemic or a natural disaster, our government steps up and gets support out the door when people need it the most. I'm proud to see that commitment and determination to help Canadians through the hardest times has never wavered. So I'm going to pass it on to my colleague, Minister Sajjan. Thank you, Carla. I do want to begin by acknowledging that we are gathered today on the traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. And as my colleagues have mentioned, that the impact that climate change is having, that the impact is, is on our province is undeniable now. As we speak, wildfires near Lytton have already burned over 1,700 hectares, and firefighters continue to battle this out-of-control blaze. Uh, 
And generally, we are experiencing disasters that are caused by climate change in increasing frequency and severity, impacting cities, towns, communities across British Columbia and Canada. This is why we need to have conversations across all levels of governments. We need to see what we can do to protect our neighbours when disaster strikes. It means investing in those who serve during these challenging times. Now, when I was working with the Heavy Urban Search and Rescue Team here in Vancouver, I saw the experience and dedication of those who are already um, serving in disaster zones. And I want to take this opportunity to thank all the firefighters, Canadian Armed Forces members, Red Cross volunteers, and community members who have done so much during these disasters. And we need to continue to look at how we can build more teams like these ones to build resilience when unmanageable happens. We also need to look at how we can rebuild. As many of you are aware, the last month I was in Lytton where I met with uh, Mayor uh, Polderman and the village administration and I toured the village. I spoke with residents who lost their homes. It was also where I announced uh, on behalf of our government the $77 million in funding to help rebuild Lytton by supporting the village, its people and its businesses. Support from Infrastructure Canada will help Lytton rebuild key community buildings. And Pacific Can will also deliver the Lytton Business Restart Program, helping small and medium-sized businesses get back to business in Lytton, including support for Indigenous businesses and those operated by women, youth, and other uh, underrepresented groups. And we're also supporting uh, homeowners who have basic um, rebuild insurance and want to rebuild in net zero and fire-resistant homes. These investments um, are not just about rebuilding. They're about rebuilding better. Our work over the past few months has been about this. It's been about working together as federal, provincial, municipal and First Nations partners to plan how we should respond to floods, fires, landslides and storms. It's about working together when disasters strike to protect people's lives, homes and businesses. And it's about working together to re recover and to rebuild after. We and Pacifican and the entire federal government will be there uh, as partners to support British Columbia at their time of need. Thank you. Merci beaucoup. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll now begin with questions from the room, and then we'll move on to questions on the phone line. One question, one follow-up, please, and please start by stating your name and outlet. It's uh, Gord Hookshire with the Vancouver Sun. I'm just wondering, Minister Farnworth, whether you could give us a little bit of details about what this uh, first $870 million will be used for. Um, it's going to be able to use to build a lot of the, uh, the damaged uh, infrastructure, with Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, both uh, on the public and on the, uh, the private side. And the, uh, help with the costs that the province has already been incurring to date. So it could be everything from uh, roadworks to floodworks in uh, municipalities. Uh, assisting on our, our highways and the whole area of where we've having been having to, to expend uh, funds to, 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 to rebuild. And, uh, and in terms of the flood works, does that include like, you know, some of these, you know, there's asks from municipalities on either, you know, uh, building dikes to higher standards or, you know, looking at other alternate measures, that kind of thing. Will that be included or is this, 
specifically on the response and recovery side. So this is on the response and recovery, but within this money and within the DFAA program, there is a 15% uh, premium that allows you to build back better. So it's not just building back to the standard that was in, that, that was in place, but it allows us to build back better uh, using that premium. And at the same time, um, that's where we've changed some of our provincial um, um, program rules to align better with the federal government program so that we're able to make to leverage this money to ensure that we are building back better. Hi, Minister. I'm from Omiti Wiliti Lam. Uh, just wondering, like little now, the virus is still out of control. So, uh, how is uh, this funding will help now the situation, uh, like for the team to f uh, fight it? How is plan uh, for the government? Okay. Thank you. So this funding is separate from the, the fighting of the fire. The fighting of the fire is provincial money and we spend what we have to spend in terms of fighting it. I can give you an update in terms of the current situation. The fire right now is about 1,850 hectares. Um, it is holding very well on the north and south flanks. Uh, so that is away from areas of, of, of of, uh, human, of human habitation or power lines or infrastructure. Uh, the real issue right now is the, uh, it's moving in a westerly direction towards the Stein uh, Valley Provincial Park. Uh, right now there are about 96 uh, crew, both uh, provincial firefighters, First Nations, Lytton First Nations, who are members who are fighting that fire. There are eight helicopters, uh, and some of them heavy, uh, heavy helicopters that are busy fighting the fire. Uh, we're watching the, very, the weather very closely uh, to see the, uh, the impact. We know that there has been some unsettling. There was a little bit of rain uh, that fell uh, last night, but a lot still depends on the weather. Uh, and as it, uh, but right now the, the direction of the fire is towards the, uh, the Stein. Provincial Park. And follow-up? Okay. Uh, we'll move to questions from the phone line now. Operator? Please press star 1 if you have a question. The first question is from Dylan Robertson from the Winnipeg Free Press. Please go ahead. Uh, hi there. Uh, Minister Blair, uh, you met with the emergency management ministers in March and you were talking about changes in how Ottawa is providing the DFAA to try disincentivizing rebuilds in areas that are prone to flooding and fires. I'm just wondering if you could update us on what's happened since March and if that's still the government's plan. Yeah, thanks very much for the question. And, I, and it's an important one because we, we know that with, you know, the increased frequency and severity of, of climate-related events, particularly floods and fires, uh, that there are certain areas of the country that are more vulnerable. Uh, to these types of weather-related emergencies. Um, there is very important work that's, that's currently taking place in collaboration between the federal government through the National Resources Canada and our provincial and territorial partners on more effective flood ma mapping, for example. There's also very significant investments being made in, in firefighter training and firefighting equipment right across the country. Um, but, you know, we, we, we have seen that the cost of recovery from these natural events has been increasing quite significantly. And, and, it, and it's, a, it's a shared commitment between ourselves, certainly between the federal government and the province of British Columbia and, and our First Nations partners here in B.C., but also among the provinces and territories right across the country, that we want to, to invest in resiliency. And, and, and that means, you know, making significant investments to help um, our, our first responders respond more effectively and quickly, um, making sure they have the resources the training and equipment that they need to, to do their job, but also to, to working collaboratively with communities to make them far more resilient. Um, our, our intent here is to invest in prevention.
prevention and better preparation. But at the same time, we, we acknowledge that these are, events are taking place and we will be there to help communities uh, recover. Um, you know, you, you mentioned from Manitoba, we, we've, we have a, a very difficult uh, fire situation in Matthias Kloom, uh, Cree First Nation um, in northern Manitoba. Literally thousands of people have been displaced from their communities and, 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 and we're very grateful for the incredible work of Emergency Management Manitoba and the first responders who are, who are doing work there. Um, and, and we're working very collaboratively to make sure that we keep all of those people safe. And follow-up? And, uh, yeah, uh, my follow-up is actually about the situation up in Pukatawagin. Uh, we, heard, we heard the chief have criticism of uh, how the provincial government and the Red Cross responded. The evacuation is almost done now, but she said this got to a crisis point before anyone intervened. I'm just wondering if you're familiar with how the evacuation has been going and if you had any response to that. Yeah, and, 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 and listen, I understand completely the anxiety and concern uh, that the, the chief expresses. Um, it, it, this really was a life and limb situation. Um, I can assure you that, that the federal government, working very closely with, with the province of Manitoba and with our, our civil society partners like the Red Cross, have been there in that community. Um, the Canadian Armed Forces stepped up and provided uh, air transport. Also, we were able to move quite a number of people by by rail those people have now been removed to safety and 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 but I we also know how traumatic and difficult that that relocation can be for the people in those communities um, but it was necessary and and will continue to work as closely and collaboratively with the First Nations leadership um, in that community and the people of that community to make sure that we can keep them safe and do everything possible to keep their community safe as well operator next question the next question is from Binder Sajjan from CTV Vancouver. Please go ahead. Uh, hi there. Um, thanks for the update on the recovery and the rebuild. I'm just wondering if you're able to give some sort of an update on prevention measures that have been taking place, particularly in and around the Lytton. Um, and I'm wondering also if there was thought to, given to extend these meetings, uh, given that, you know, the rebuild is still in progress and yet Lytton's been hit again this year or near Lytton. Yeah, no, thanks, uh, thanks, Binjin, for the uh, the question. Uh, well, twofold when it comes to, in case, uh, the situation in Lytton, there's the fire that's ongoing right now, and there's the evacuation that's uh, that's under that's that is underway. About uh, 45 people have been evacuated, registered at Cache Creek, about 107 at Lillooet. Obviously, they will be continuing to get the supports that they need um, until the evacuation orders are lifted. In terms of the rebuild, uh, there has been the money that's already been announced by both the, uh, the federal government, uh, the $70 million uh, just uh, recently, along with the, uh, the, the provincial uh, monies that have been, uh, have been announced in terms of the rebuild. Uh, the debris removal is, is underway, and it is our expectation that that will start uh, in, uh, in, uh, in September. Um, part of the federal money uh, is going to enable um, uh, homes that, uh, to, to, to fire smart, and the same uh, in terms of the, uh, the infrastructure, the, the municipal infrastructure uh, that is being rebuilt, uh, and the province is involved uh, with working with the, uh, the local government uh, and the First Nations in terms of the rebuild. Thanks so much. Um, so by my count, we're looking at more than a billion dollars um, so that's been spent on uh, rebuilding and recovery. And I'm just wondering, um, you know, is it going to be possible to get a number, uh, you know, I know you get asked this all the time in terms of what the rebuild is going to cost, or is it this going to be sort of a step-by-step -step process that every 
once in a while, once you get to a certain point of the rebuild, that you realize what other money is needed. And just wondering if both the province and the federal government are then committed to funding whatever that may cost. We've been working very well with the, uh, the federal government. Uh, the federal government came in very early uh, with the, uh, the allocation of the uh, over $5 billion in terms of what it's going to cost for the recovery. And at that time, they indicated that they knew that that was just a first ask. Uh, we've been working very closely with them and First Nations and local governments in terms of, 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 of the recovery and the rebuild and how that's taking place. Uh, today's uh, announcement around the $870 million, uh, is a significant step in terms of the money that, that is going to be going out the door. It is an ongoing process uh, in terms of determining exactly the, uh, the, the, the full cost of the recovery. Um, there's still some assessments going on on the ground, for example, in the valley. Uh, at the same time, there's the work that's been underway on the highways uh, in terms of the, uh, the number one and the number five and the rebuild on the Coquihalla. With still work to be done over the summer on both of those highways. Uh, as you know, highway number uh, eight uh, is... Uh, uh, and, and 12 are, uh, have significant problems where there's a lot of work that still has to be done in determining, looking at things such as land that's been lost on uh, First Nations reserves. So all of those costs, it, it is in many ways an incremental process. But the critical thing here is, is that you've got the, the province and the federal government and First Nations working together to be able to get us through this and to move forward in a way where all levels of government are working together so that we're better prepared in the future, but more just as importantly is dealing with the situation on the ground as it is right now. Next question. The next question is from Brenna Owen from the Canadian Press. Please go ahead. Thank you. Yes, I'm just wondering if perhaps one of the ministers could clarify whether the $870 million announced is, like, entirely new or whether we've heard this amount perhaps, like, embedded in a larger previously announced amount. Yeah, thanks. Very, to, to be very clear, I, I was here a, a, a few weeks ago and we announced $270 million in advance payment. And that was in direct response to the 2021 fire season. The province of British Columbia and, and under Mr. Farnworth and his staff have been working very hard to make, to put, to put the data and the, and the application before the federal government. Um, it's very clear that the, that the rebuild from, as a result of, of the November floods is going to be a significant and costly event. And this is the first advance payment in, in those applications. And so um, Mr. Farnworth has, has, has made application to the federal government. We know that $870 million is a, it's, it's the first payment, but there's more work to be done. But, but we also believe it's important to get money out as quickly as possible so that that rebuild can, can begin in earnest and that, that we can help those communities impacted by those floods begin to return to a sense of normalcy um, in, in their communities as quickly as possible. And, and you know, they, they, we know that people have been enormously impacted. I, like my colleagues, have been to Abbotsford and to Merritt and Princeton. And we've, we've, we've spoken to people who are directly impacted by these, this incredible flooding event. Um, we are working very closely, not only with the provincial government, with our First Nations partners, but with municipalities as well. As a matter of fact, later on this afternoon, I'll be meeting with uh, mayors from the affected regions from right across British Columbia um, because that order of government is also an important partner in this and we want to make sure that that money is provided in a timely way to assist in that rebuild but also it's being invested in a way which is which is increasingly resilient to these types of events to make sure that the rebuild just doesn't take place in, an, in, a, in, a, in a vulnerable place but is, is, is done in a way which is properly informed uh, by an acknowledgement of the impact of climate change and the fact that we just simply have to do things 
things better. And that's what building back better is all about. This show has been produced by Depictions Media. Please contact us at depictions.media for more information.